From Facebook to Instagram to Pinterest, social media sites are chock full of images and videos of cats. For a lot of people, their feline companions are their best friends, as independent as they may be. Hi, I'm George Bodarki, and this is Cityscape. On this week's show, how one New York City nonprofit works to find homeless cats and kittens permanent loving homes. There are so many great animals who just need a second chance, who just need some TLC, some loving care and a good diet, and they will make wonderful companions. But first, the story of how a lost cat redefined life for a homeless man in Portland, Oregon. Britt Collins is the author of Strays, A Lost Cat, A Homeless Man, and Their Journey Across America. She joins me now in the studio. Britt, thanks so much for coming in. Thank you. It's lovely to be here. Thank you for inviting me. So here you are all the way from London. Yes, and it's thrilling to be in New York because I haven't been here in about six years when I used to come here regularly. What brings you to the States this time around? Just to do a few events to promote my book and just being in New York, really, on top of that. This is the story of a homeless man from Portland, Oregon, named Michael King and a stray cat. He finds her cowering in the rain. She's uh, quite thin and hungry and scared. And he picks her up and takes her to uh, the UPS loading bay where he squats. And he tries to find her owner and spends three months going around Portland with her. She becomes a bit of a celebrity. And when winter comes, he usually migrates to California. So he has to take the cat with him. What inspired him to keep the cat in the first place? Not only that, but to take the time to try to find the cat's owner. Because he loved animals. And he actually had a foster father in Montana, and he raised and rescued a few barn cats. And, of course, he couldn't leave her because she was in a poor state in the rain on a really busy road on Hawthorne. So, of course, he had to take her. He tried to find her owner, but he only advertised on Craigslist. And it's the only place where the owner, Ron Bus, hadn't looked. Huh, is that right? But the owner spent 10 months looking for her, losing his mind, being heartbroken, Uh, seeing psychics, fortune tellers, animal whispers, uh, just having a nervous breakdown. And the cat's brother, Crito, waited on a porch every night waiting for his sister to come home. And he was a mess as well. He he overgroomed himself and hid. and, And then, of course, Ron, the cat's owner, was at war with his homophobic neighbor. He was convinced that he murdered his cat. Hmm. Because he had kidnapped her once before and dumped her in the woods. She survived wild for six months. So (laughs) he had this just horror show going on while Michael and uh, the cat, Matahari, were having this grand adventure across America. Michael King. This is the homeless man. This is the homeless man, yes. What can you tell us about Michael King? He used to be a chef. He had a nice apartment and a good job in St. Louis. And when his partner died of AIDS... He decided to just leave everything behind. He packed two backpacks, left everything, the car, the boat trailer, the house, and decided to just sort of put his thumb out on the nearest highway. And he decided to stay in the streets because he he found a sense of community with other drifters and just adapted to their way of life. He was an alcoholic, correct? He was an alcoholic. Uh, I think he was always a heavy drinker when he was a chef. It's just that sort of environment. But when his life fell apart, when he lost his partner... He just started drinking really heavily and stayed in the street and drifts with the seasons like a lot of them do from Portland. So when he discovered this cat, he had this cat with him. Where did he get the money even to feed this cat, to care for this cat? He panhandled. I mean, he didn't really want the cat, but because of the state that she was in, 
Being on the busy road, he was sure that she would be run over. So he panhandled, but he found that with the cat, people actually stopped for him, gave him more money, bought food for the cat. He said in 10 months he bought two cans of cat food. People were so generous everywhere he went. Uh, there was an old lady in Ventura when they lived on the beach beneath a tree who bought them home to cook meals, bought treats for Tabor, even bought her a new collar and name tag. Tabor, he named her Tabor. He named her Tabor after the cafe where he found her, but her name was Matahari. They had quite the journey out there. Well, they camped uh, in Yosemite. They had encounters with bears. They got picked up by cowboys, by uh, truckers, just all sorts of people, uh, families with kids. He carried the cat on top of his backpack, but he also walked the cat on a leash. Yes, but the cat apparently was quite lazy. In 4,000 miles, she only walked half a mile. He said she was like the Queen of Sheba. She spent most of the time on his shoulder. She wanted to be carried. She only walked when they lived on the beach for three months beneath a tree. How soon after he acquired this cat would you say he started to develop feelings for this cat, getting attached to her? Probably a week or two after he had her. He just kept telling himself she's probably going to run off on her own. He's going to uh, find her owner. But, of course, within a week or two, he bought her a collar to protect her from the danger of the city. Um, and he was in love with this cat. He realized that he had to take her with him. He, he adapted his life around her. In what ways? Explain a little bit more about that. Well, he actually he, he worried about uh, who he hitchhiked with before he would just get into any car. There was a, one instance where there was a drunken driver. It was in the middle of winter. He was constantly worried that the cat would be taken away from him if he was drunk. He also cut down on his drinking. So he only drank in the evenings because he was, he was terrified the cat would be taken away from him. And he wouldn't get into any car. There was this one instance in Redmond, Oregon. The driver was drunk. He had a can of beer. And he thought, well, it's freezing out, but I'm not going to take this lift. He didn't care so much about himself, but about protecting the cat. And after so many months with her, he just wanted a better life for her. And the fact that he gave her back after 10 months, even though it broke his heart, because he knew she was safer. Also, it was the right thing to do, to give her back to her owner. But How she... did Michael even determine that this cat had a rightful owner after looking and not coming up with an owner? Well, after 10 months, he went to visit his foster father in Montana, and, of course, Walter, he was an ex-Vietnam uh, vet and recovering alcoholic because he had an elderly cat that Michael saved some years before. He insisted that Tabor be taken to the vet because he was worried that she might have picked up mites and ticks and diseases from their travels. Michael was reluctant to take her to the vet, but he did. And, of course, he had, she had a microchip. And he didn't hesitate for a second to take her back. Ron, the cat's owner, wanted to fly from Portland to pick her up when the microchip company called him. But Michael asked if he could have one last trip with her mm. to take her back himself. Now, how much time has passed now? Ten months. Ten months. Ten months, nearly a year. He had all these adventures with the cat. I mean, there was one point where he thought he lost her in Mount Shasta. And he and his two friends and the dog that they had, Bobby, ran around for an hour looking for her, and she was just sleeping in a tree. And at that point, he thought, well, for the home stretch back to Portland, he was going to sort of stop drinking altogether because he was really worried about losing Tabor. So when he realized the cat had a microchip and he realized that he could then identify the owner, 
you said that his immediate instinct was to return Tabor to her owner. Did anyone try to convince him not to? You know his what? Friends, yeah? His friends said, you've had her nearly for a year. The owner didn't try too hard. You know, she's your cat. And he said, well, it's, she has the right to go home. And he said, I'm just the caretaker, making sure she's got a safe passage. And he decided to return her. He just thought it was the right thing to do, even though it broke his heart. Yeah, how hard was it when he actually had to physically turn Tabor over to her owner? Well, the moment he gave her up, he kissed her goodbye and burst into tears and asked Ron, the owner, if he could come back and visit her the next morning because he was leaving town for a couple of weeks. He said several weeks after that he was blackout drunk and spent ages crying in the woods about her. Wow, so he went back to drinking. He went back to drinking. Uh, About 18 months after this, he decided to go to rehab because he realized that a lot of his friends were either dead or were in jail. So he thought perhaps he should do something about his addiction. And when he went back to Portland, he just started drinking again. So he's been sober for, I guess, months at a time, but he always drifts back to drinking. Yeah, what's life like now for Michael? Is he still living on the streets? He's still living in the streets. Uh, He lives between Montana. His foster father, Walter, wants him to move to Montana, but he doesn't want to. He said that that Portland Social Services and his father and everybody else has spent years trying to put him in a house, but he wants to live in the streets because he's got a real sort of sense of camaraderie among the people there. So, And he helps street kids now. He helps them navigate street life, and he he doesn't think of himself as homeless. He thinks of himself as a traveler, really. Did he have any desire to go to a shelter and get another cat, to have another companion like that? I offered to take him to the shelter. Ron offered to take him to the shelter. But he said, I'm done with cats. He didn't even want Tabor because it's hard enough feeding yourself, but to actually look after a cat and to protect her from a a million dangers, cars, predators, especially on the West Coast. Uh, After he took Tabor back, he rescued two other kittens and he found them homes. They didn't adapt to the road as well as she did. Now, what Michael didn't know the entire 10 months that he had her was that she was used to traveling because Ron used to take her and her brother everywhere since they were kittens. And, of course, she was a really well-road-adapted cat. What would you say were the greatest lessons Tabor taught Michael? She taught him that he missed caring for somebody. He said it's an old cliche, that old adage. He, He realized if you truly love someone, you should let them go and do what's best for them. He... I guess she reminded him that he really missed caring for someone because he hadn't really cared for someone since he lost his partner. He did care for Walter when he was ill for a few months and his old cat Gus. But as Walter said, Michael is a real nurturer and he missed that. And now he has a dog called Abbey Road that he also found. Huh. I, I, I guess a dog is a lot easier to travel with, so... What do you think of that idea? I mean, clearly these animals can do a lot for someone living on the streets, but as you mentioned earlier, it's a challenge to have animals and have them live on the streets. Well, especially cats, but I guess with so many animals being put to sleep, I mean, what I'm hoping to do with this book, I I have an author's note at the end of it, to encourage people to adopt and not shop for animals. Because people who say that there are dog lovers and cat lovers, they will still go to a pet shop or buy an animal from a breeder or from the internet because they might want certain breeds. But any type of breed 
of dog or cat that you could imagine you could find in, in rescue shelters, they get abandoned too. And there's the sort of horrific, the horror show of puppy and kitten mills. They're factory farms for cats and dogs. And they don't realize the cruelty and the suffering they're perpetuating by buying animals. And in America, about 8 million cats and dogs are put to sleep every year. How does that differ from where you're from? Well, we have the same problem, of course, because people buy certain breeds. But of course, it's getting better. I I guess in London, we put about a million cats to sleep cats and dogs every year, which is a million too many, really. I think California, they're, they're, they've put uh, through some legislation recently where pet shops are going to be forced to take shelter animals. So here in the States, people who work to rescue stray and feral cats follow the TNR system, trap, neuter, return. What do you think of that system? We have the same system in Europe and in London. I do agree with uh, trap and neuter, but I'm not sure about the returning, unless they're barn cats, because they have such harsh lives in the street. I know there are communities of cat ladies, and I'm one of them. I feed cats and foxes in London, but I trap them, and then I try to find them homes. I've actually socialized feral cats and kittens. If you actually invest the time, you can socialize them. I mean, they might not be the friendliest cats in the world, but they will adapt to a home life with a little kindness and patience. How many cats do you have yourself? I Well, seven is my magic number. I always have seven or eight. But at the moment, I have three. And I, eventually, I want to have an animal sanctuary. In London? In London. Because wherever I travel in the world, I volunteer. I mean, I volunteered in Namibia and Australia and Kenya. I've, I've looked after elephants, big cats, baboons, fruit bats, everything. You name it. I adore it. It's like the best thing in the world, looking after animals. You're organizing a cat fest in London. What's that all about? Well, it's a celebration of all things feline. You can buy things for your cats, treats, quality food. Uh, You can buy things for yourself, earrings, T-shirts. There'll be talks with best-selling authors like uh, Gwen Cooper from Homer's Odyssey, Jeffrey Mason, who wrote The Nine Emotional Lives of Cats and Dogs Don't Tell Lies. Uh, There'll be music, films. There'll be an adoption parlor with a local London charity called Feline Friends. So you'll be able to sort of see rescue cats and put your name down for adoption. That's going to be the meow parlor. There'll be a, a, a muse market selling vegan street food because I also want to promote veganism as well as rescuing cats. But I want it to be beautifully curated and stylish. You could buy books, uh, cat art, but it will all really, really be lovely. Uh, in fact, we have Italian Vogue and French Vogue coming over to cover it. So. Exciting. I when mean, is I, that scheduled for? That's going to be on Bastille Day, uh, French Independence, which is July 14th, 2018 in East London. And yes, it is very exciting. So getting back to this book, Strays, how did you first learn about this story of Michael King and this stray cat? Well, at that point, I had I had moved to L.A. with my husband and our cats and I saw the headline, Homeless Man Travels 3,600 Miles. He was, at that point, on the road returning Tabor. And it, it, had a, it had a bit of sort of fairy dust about it, the story. It just seems magic. I think anybody who rescues animals touches my heart, and especially when they go through great lengths for them. Because I've not only rescued uh, cats in London off the street myself, but I've rescued them in America. I've rescued them in Cuba. The first time I went to Havana, I was desperate to see Havana, but I didn't see... All I did was feed the street cats and dogs. I found a kitten with a broken leg, and I found her a home. The entire 10 days I was there, it was about finding a home for Francesca, fixing her broken leg, 
And I, I just can't help myself. Hmm. And when you see them happy and glossy, it's like winning the lottery. How long did it take you to write the book? Um, I guess it took about a year to research it, running all over the place to Montana, across California, <laughs> visiting the various people. And it took about a year, year to write it. So probably two, all in all. Was Michael eager to tell a story when you approached him? Yes, he was. And so was Ron. And, and I mean, they had tremendous patience because I did sort of constant interviews. I mean, it wasn't easy for Michael because I guess when you drink, you have sort of mood changes. Sometimes you're in the mood for it. And, and also, he, he really sort of struggled talking about his lost partner. He just said he just, I mean, it was really, really difficult for him. And he became really emotional and weepy. Are Michael, Ron, and Tabor still in touch? Yes, they are. And Ron, actually, he's made Tabor and, well, Mata Hari, that's her real name. He's made Mata and Krito indoor cats. And Ron and I, when I went to visit, the second time I went to Portland to do more interviews, we rescued a black kitten on the beach that somebody dumped in the woods. She was very thin. She hadn't eaten in two weeks. And she saw us there having a picnic with Ron's cats. She came out of the woods crying, and of course we rescued her. Ron still has her. Her name is Selvi, after Selvi Island, where we were. And so the three of them are indoor cats now. He's converted his conservatory and made it sort of an outdoor setting with trees. It's very difficult to let um, cats out. Even in London, I don't know if you're aware, but we have this cat killer. Scotland Yard and the RSPCA have been trying to catch him for two years. He's really? Mu- he's mutilated and killed 250 cats, huh. and they still can't catch him. Not strays, but family cats. And I know how hard that is because my cat was murdered eight years ago. These teenagers set their dog on her and took her head off, Hmm. and it nearly destroyed me. I dedicated the book to her, Bobby Seal. We're having a real crisis with this. Uh, People are not letting their cats outside anymore, even when you have gardens. Yeah, I did not hear about that story here in the States. Well, when we moved our cats from London to Los Angeles, even though we had a little garden, they had to become indoor cats because in the West Coast you have a a different sort of... uh, situation with predators, with the coyotes that kill cats and dogs and uh, birds of prey, raptors, everything. So, of course, our cats there had to adapt to indoor life. What is it about cats that you like most? Everything. Their their wildness, their willfulness. Uh, just, it's like having a little, a little, a big cat in your living room. It's just all the things that I admire in people, cats have them. And they're just, they're Things of beauty. They're just the most beautiful thing. I think Leonardo da Vinci said that their cats were nature's great masterpiece. And I agree. I love looking at them, thinking about them. They have this sort of sense of mystery about them. They always surprise you. They always do something mad. I mean, it's not a coincidence that 15% of internet traffic uh, consists of cat videos because they do mad and amusing things. Dogs are lovely too, but they're predictable. This 10-month journey between Michael King and Tabor this cat, I can certainly see it on the big screen. Is it your hope that this book will be made into a movie? Um, Only if it helps other cats. I mean, I don't really care if it gets made into a movie, to be honest. I'm I'm thrilled that it's going to be sort of translated and there are going to be several foreign editions, French, Italian, Polish, German, Dutch, and, and several other languages. That's quite thrilling. I just want people to be kinder to animals, and and especially in Asia and China and Korea, where it's just horrific what happens to cats and dogs. I used to be an investigative journalist for the tabloids, and I I did a lot of awful stories about 
the cat and dog fur trade, the meat trade, just horrific things. I'm just hoping it will change a few minds and hearts. That's my biggest thing. The book is Strays, A Lost Cat, A Homeless Man, and Their Journey Across America. Britt, thank you so much for coming. Thank in. you for having me. It's really lovely. Britt Collins' book, Strays, A Lost Cat, A Homeless Man, and Their Journey Across America, is out now from Atria Books. If you're looking for a cat to journey through life with you, Catherine Willis might be able to help. She's director of Angelical Cats Rescue here in New York City. Catherine is on the phone with me now. Catherine, thanks so much for taking the time to talk with me. My pleasure. So what's the mission of Angelical Cats Rescue? Angelical Cats Rescue is a nonprofit, all-volunteer group dedicated to helping cats uh, find their forever homes. We take a lot of cats from the city shelter who are in danger of being euthanized, and we also take strays from the street and owners to renders. Do you operate in all five boroughs? Yes. You could say that. Our center is in Manhattan, where most of our veterinarians are, but we do work with people from uh, different boroughs. How big of a task do you have? Well, it is a, it's a big task. We can't help everyone we would like to. We probably have several hundred cats who are in our system now who are looking for homes. We don't have a what, what they call a brick-and-mortar shelter. We operate through a network of foster people who house the animals in their homes and help us get them adopted. Do many of these people wind up keeping the cats themselves? (laughs) Yes, we call them foster failures, (laughs) um, which is a good thing and a bad thing because we know they've lived with the cat and it's a good match. On the other hand, we often lose fosters because once they have one or two or three cats, then they're not able to foster anymore. So what's the history behind Angelical Cats? Angelical Cats Rescue started out as kind of a grassroots movement in Hell's Kitchen about 20 years ago. There were a few of us who decided to help the cats who needed homes in the city. And um, we were independent. We were not incorporated. Uh, But as we grew larger and we became part of the umbrella organization, Mayor's Alliance for New York City Animals, we decided to incorporate and become nonprofit. That was 11 years ago. Since then, we have grown and um, become quite a large group in New York City. So here in New York City, cats can be euthanized if they're in a shelter for a certain period of time? It's not really a certain period of time. Um, They euthanize cats in the city because of behavior reasons or because they're ill or injured or because they are too young, like a lot of bottle babies. Uh, We call them bottle babies, the tiny kittens that come into the shelter who need to be hand-fed. They don't have the resources. I mean, everyone is scrambling in the summer to help these kittens because the shelter can't hold them. They require a lot of time and a lot of attention, a lot of care. Um, They need to be fed and monitored every couple of hours. So it's, it's a tough problem every year. So then how do you work? How frequently do you go into shelters trying to save these cats who might be in danger of being euthanized? It's not that we go into the shelters so much as we're in touch with the um, the staff there. Mm-hmm. And when they have cats that they can no longer hold, what they do is they put out a list every night of those cats who are in danger of being euthanized. Or they will put out pleas by email or we'll just get calls from them saying, hey, we just got in uh, six bottle babies. They're three weeks old. We don't have anyone to take them. Can you take them? That's how we get most of our cats and kittens. The cats that you find in shelters, are they largely strays? Were these feral cats? There are some ferals. 
but most of the cats are either friendly strays or cats that people have given up, owner surrenders. There are also cats who come in uh, from people who have been evicted or they've been seized from apartments where the police went in and found animals. And uh, they, they're automatically turned over to the shelter unless there's family willing to take them. Why is this important to you, Catherine? Because I love animals, and it's very hard to see an animal who is perfectly adoptable, but not in a good situation, be euthanized when, they could, when we could help them find a good home. It sometimes takes longer than we think, and sometimes it gets complicated, and sometimes it gets expensive. But this is our mission, to help those cats that need to need a second chance in life. I was going to ask you, what would you say is your biggest challenge? Finances. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's always finances. So what's the story behind Angelical Cats Rescue? When we started our group, we were in... The, we were the, we were centered in the Broadway community, and at that time, the musical Cats was playing on Broadway. And that musical was based on a book by T.S. Eliot called Old Possum's Book of Practical Cats. And in that book is a poem about Jellical Cats. So we took that name Jellical and we put an A in in front of it, made it our name, put a little halo over the name, and that's how Angelical Cats became What is it that you like about cats most? Well, I love all animals, but I have a special connection to cats. They are beautiful. They're loyal. They're independent. They will not take abuse the way, for example, dogs will. If you treat them badly, they're not going to grovel before you. There's something very beautiful and independent and free-spirited about them. And they make wonderful pets. They're very easy to keep. They're much easier than many other animals. They can live in your home. They're not constantly clinging to you. And yet they're there. They're very affectionate. People have the idea that cats can be cold and independent. They are independent to a certain degree, but they are wonderful, loving pets. How many cats do you have? I have a few of my own, and I foster uh, when I can. I'm always curious um, about pet names. Can you give us some of their names? Uh, let's see. We have Bell Star. We have Trouble. We have Ellie. We have Yuffie. We have uh, Lulabel. Those are a few. So is Trouble Trouble? Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> so, Catherine, if people want to get involved, do their part. How can they go about doing that? Well, they can contact us. We have lots of opportunities. We ne- always need foster homes, temporary homes. We um, need people to help out at events. We need people to help with social media. We have a uh, website we maintain, and we have cats in three different stores now. So we need volunteers to come in in the morning to feed them, to clean their cages, to socialize them, to play with them, to show them to people who come into the stores. We, so we have a team in all these stores coming in morning and night. We always need volunteers for that. So do you provide any particular type of support to foster cat parents? Absolutely. We ask that the foster parents uh, take care of the food and litter for the animals. We take care of all of the medical costs. Uh, We have a a couple of people in our foster department. I'm listed as an emergency number. 
if your cat gets ill or you have an emergency, all you need to do is contact us and we will support you 100%. So you're doing adoption events every weekend? Every weekend, Saturday and Sunday. How successful are they? Um, Very successful. We are lucky that we are in the stores because the stores get traffic and people become aware of not only our group, but overall the problem of finding homes for, for cats who are homeless. All right. Catherine, anything that we didn't talk about that you would want to add? I would just say that I would love for more people to become aware of the problem of the cats and dogs in the shelters who need homes. There are so many great animals who just need a second chance, who just need some TLC, some loving care and a good diet, and they will make wonderful companions. So what do you think, Catherine? Should I pick a song from the Broadway musical Cats to take us out on? That's a great idea, George. (laughs) (laughs) Catherine, thanks so much for your time. You're very welcome. Greatest magicians have something to learn from Mr. Mistopheles' conjuring turns. And we all say, oh, well, I never was there ever. A cat so clever as magical Mr. Mistopheles. Catherine Willis is the director of Angelical Cats Rescue here in New York City. More info at angelicalcats.com. And that's it for this week's Cityscape. My thanks to producer Caroline Rotante. I'm George Boldarki. Thank you so much for listening. From his ears to the tip of his tail, he can find through the tiniest crack. He can walk on the narrowest rail. He can pick any card from a pack. He is equally cunning with dice. It's WFUV and WFUV HD New York. Listener-supported public media from Fordham, the Jesuit University of New York. Music discovery starts here. For a knife or a fork, and you think it is merely misplaced. You have seen it one moment, and then it is gone. But you find it next week lying out on the